Would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 14? We're beginning a new series this morning, a short series that will take us through June on the farewell discourse of Jesus in John chapter 14 to 17. So many relevant truths as we think about our life on mission. How do we live between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, It's not the destination, it's the journey that matters. What do you think of that? It's not the destination, it's the journey that matters. I think I know what he's saying, and I think I agree with it, that we need to enjoy the journey. We need to enjoy our life. And it's good counsel as far as it goes. But when it comes to the mission that Christ has given the church, when it comes to the Christian life, I would say that it is the destination that matters chiefly. In fact, if we are going to have joy in the journey, we need to be firmly fixed in our focus on the destination. Why do I say this? Well, by way of illustration, just think back to the last time that you had a family vacation with small children in tow. There are many in our church, I can see today, that are doing that very thing. How enjoyable was the journey? I'm getting ready to drive many hundreds of miles to California with my children in a couple of weeks. And I know from my journey to Chicago a couple of weeks ago that it's not all that pleasant. I have empirical data to back up my assertion. The incessant bickering. The request for bathroom breaks, they're not a lot of fun. Neither are flight delays, cramped plane rides. But, with all of that said, there can be some joy in the journey if the destination is desirable. The same goes for the Christian life, the Great Commission, the work of missions, If we are really seeking to follow Jesus faithfully, not simply giving lip service to being a Christian, but really seeking to follow Jesus faithfully, if we are seeking to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly to actual people who don't know Jesus, it will be quite difficult. We will battle the world, the flesh, and the devil, simply being believers. And as we seek to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be met with conflict and rejection, with failure, with discouragement, with loneliness, and much pain. That's full disclosure, friends. So can we have joy? in the journey? You bet we can. And the reason for that is not because the road is smooth. The road 
is rough, but the destination is glorious. And that what gives us joy in the journey. That's what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning. The journey ahead will be hard, but the destination is worth it. Beginning in the farewell discourse, Jesus is letting his disciples know very clearly he is about to go away. And where he is going, his disciples cannot follow him, at least not right away. This troubles them greatly. They can't think of any good reasons why Jesus would leave them. But Jesus knows that there is much good that will come from his going away. And so his farewell discourse is a good goodbye. Our passage is organized around four questions. One from Peter, one from Thomas, one from Philip, and one from Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, probably Judas, the brother of James. And as Jesus answers the first question, he says something provocative that leads the next guy to ask the next question, and so it goes throughout the discourse. And along the way, as he answers the questions, good reasons emerge for Jesus going away. But before he gets to those good reasons he must go away, he gives them a set of commands to not be troubled, but to trust in him. And after he finishes his discourse in chapter 14, he reiterates these commands to not be troubled and implies that they are to trust him. So the whole discourse is framed around these commands. So before we get to the four questions that will give us good reasons to continue in the mission Christ has given us, we need to be reminded of the main command that Jesus gives. This comes at the beginning and the end. So to begin our time we're going to read for our scripture reading uh, the beginning part of the discourse and the end part. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll begin in chapter 13, which is where the first question comes, verse 36, 1336 through 141, and then we'll pick up at 1427 through 29. So Jesus has said that he is going, and Simon Peter, verse 36, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then addressing all of the disciples, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're going to see four good reasons why Jesus had to go away. But before we get there, I want you to see the overarching command that makes these good reasons good news for us. Here's my sermon in a sentence. We don't need to be troubled if we trust in Jesus. We don't need to be troubled if we trust in Jesus. The rest will flesh out what trusting in Jesus looks like. But let me try to explain why I've said this to get started. Jesus is really clear. He is full disclosure. There's no fine print. All of the fine print with Jesus is in bold letters. Living for mission, living on mission for Jesus will not be trouble free. But we can still have untroubled hearts if we trust in Him. We see this in verse 27, in this turn of a phrase. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But then he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How does the world conceive of peace? It conceives of peace in terms of a lack of conflict. It is talking in terms of this nation is not at war with this nation. That is the peace of the world that Jesus is describing here. Jesus says, I'm not promising you a lack of conflict in your life. They persecuted me. You better believe they will persecute you. We'll get to that more on week three of this series. This is not a trouble-free life that I am calling you to. But you can have an untroubled heart if you will trust in me. And that is the foundation of all that he is about to say. Verse 1, he says it this way, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The NIV says, Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's maybe a more concrete way to us to think about this word that we throw around so much, believe. What does it mean? It means trust, cling to, hold fast to. It's important that we don't miss this point. As Jesus is getting ready to lay down a number of reasons why going away is a good thing, He begins by saying, you've got to trust God. You've got to trust me. And implied in that is that all he is going to say is only good news for those who trust in him. What he's getting ready to say is not good news for those who do not trust in him. Apart from faith in Christ, you can't have the peace that Jesus is speaking of here. Apart from trusting Christ, 
You cannot have an untroubled, unshakable heart that he is speaking of here. Jesus also makes it clear, just to qualify throughout this passage, that those who trust him will obey him. This runs throughout the farewell discourse. We see it throughout 1 John as well. Those who love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will love one another. You will do what I have commanded you. You can't earn your way into God's favor. That comes through trusting Jesus. But if you have God's favor, true believers, he says, that trust him, will obey him. So before Jesus lays down the good reasons for his going, he calls us to trust him. And by way of implication, to trust the promises that he's getting ready to lay out. And there are four of them. Four promises that enable us to have an untroubled heart in a very troubling world is we wait for Jesus to return to this earth. The first reason is in response to Peter's first question. Jesus says he's going away and his disciples can't follow him now. And Peter says in verse 37, why can we not follow you now? Jesus then lays down the command to have untroubled hearts and to trust him. But then he does get to the answer to Peter's question very directly in verses 2 to 4. He says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So the first reason that Jesus goodbye is good is that believers will dwell with the Father in the future forever. The reason Jesus had to go away is so He could prepare a place for us in the Father's house. And Jesus says there are plenty of rooms in the Father's house. The old translation would say many mansions, but that's not quite what's in mind here. The word translated as rooms is translated throughout this chapter, and in chapter 15 we'll see it a lot. It's translated as dwelling. What is he getting at here? Why did Jesus have to go away? To accomplish the major purpose of all of creation. And all of redemption. The goal of creation. The goal of redemption. Is for us to dwell with God. In his presence. Jesus had to leave his disciples. To make that eternal goal a reality. He says I'm leaving you now. But I will come back for you. Speaking of his second coming. And when he comes back for his people. They will then dwell in the Father's house forever. But not only that, they will also dwell with Jesus forever. That's why he says that where I am, there 
you may be also. This is the destination, friends. It's not simply a place, though. Do you get that? What is the destination that we are to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon? It is a person. Or should I say, persons. We go to dwell with the Father in His house forever and to dwell with the Son forever. The goal is that we would behold the Father and the Son forever to gaze upon their beauty, to enjoy unbroken sweet communion with the triune God. This is the destination. And this future reality must inform our present problems. The reason we can have an untroubled heart now in this life of troubles is because we know that one day we will go to be with the Father and the Son. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust this promise? That is the only way to have an untroubled heart. In verse 4, Jesus says something, and this is what he does in this passage, that provokes a second question. It's almost as though he wants the next question to be asked so that he can answer that next question and give us further reasons. He says in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus replies, one of the most famous verses in this book, and for good reason, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the second good reason for Jesus' goodbye, I'm going to attach to the first reason and form one sentence. It is this. Believers will dwell with the Father in the future through the work of the Son. So we'll dwell with the Father. That's the first good reason. But we'll do that through the work of the Son. Through the Son. Many of you have mapping software on your phone. Am I right on that? I know my father-in-law just bought a brand new 2023 paper road atlas, spiral bound. So he's using that, I guess. Actually, Josh Fredrickson bought one too, so it's not just the old guys that are doing that. But most of you, when you set out on a trip, you pull out your phone, you type in the destination, and it gives you what? The most direct route. But then, in a lighter color blue, it will often give you alternate route suggestions. There are many people in our day who are saying there is more than one way to get to God. I just want to be real clear this morning. The Bible's repeated and emphatic emphasis is that there is only one way to God. One way. And it is through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. Earlier Jesus said, It's only if the Father draws people that they will come to Jesus. Now he's saying no one can come to the Father unless 
through me. Salvation is by God alone. Salvation is through Christ alone. And the reason that He is the only way to God is bound up in the way He returned to the Father. Don't miss this. We've not been in John, so it's easy to miss all that He has been saying before. He returned to the Father through the cross. The way Jesus prepares a place for us is through His death and through His resurrection. Earlier, Jesus was speaking to people who had rejected Him in chapter 8. He says something very similar to what He says to the disciples here. He says, I'm going away and you will seek Me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sin. All of us are sinners. It's not a special privilege that certain people have. We all are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And as sinners, we cannot do the thing that we were created to do. We cannot dwell in God's presence as we were meant to be. Ever since the garden, when Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence, sinners, apart from Christ, have been banished from God's presence. They can't dwell with Him. But Jesus returned to the Father through the cross to make a way that we can be reconciled to God because we've been forgiven of our sin and therefore able to come into God's presence and experience sweet communion with Him forever. We won't die in our sin. We will die. But we will not die in our sin if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. But this path is also very instructive for our discipleship. If we are going to live our lives with untroubled hearts, we need to remember that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. And so therefore, we too can have joy on our journey, though it be difficult, because as I am so fond of saying, we will go the way that he went. You know, something occurs to me in the use of John's language, the language of trouble, that is really striking to me. This is not the first time that we've encountered this language. Back in chapter 12, as Jesus was beginning to predict his death very explicitly, we read, now is my soul troubled. That's what Jesus said. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Later in chapter 12, as he becomes aware that one of his own disciples will betray him, we are told that his spirit was troubled. The prospect of the cross gave Jesus A troubled heart. And here's the interesting thing. That event 
the cross, that troubling event is the very thing that enables us to not have a troubled heart. We know the road will be rough, but friends, we will make it home one day. We know the way to the Father. His name is Jesus. Have you trusted in Him? And do you trust that what He says about the future is true? In verse 7, Jesus does His thing again. He throws down another provocative statement which elicits another question. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Which leads to Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. This leads to a rather long answer from Jesus, which I just want to go on record of saying, I still don't quite understand it. I think this is the third time I've preached from this passage and I still don't quite get it. But I think I get the basic point. And so I want to give the point and then I want to try to explain to you where I got it. Here's the third good reason for Jesus' goodbye. Believers will continue the work of the Son. So believers will one day dwell with God forever through the work of the Son. But now we are seeing that they will continue the work of the Son. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus begins his answer to Philip's question by saying that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So you've asked to see the Father. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is another way of him saying, I am the truth. So he's the way, he's the truth. What that means is that he perfectly reveals God to us. The Word became flesh, is what we read in John chapter 1. John goes on in verse 18 of John chapter 1 to say, no one has ever seen God. The only God speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus reveals the Father through His words and through His works. Why do you ask, Philip, to see the Father if you've seen me? You've seen the Father. But then he goes on in verse 12 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So Jesus, throughout his life, he spoke words and he did works that showed people who had the eyes to see who God was and what God's plan of salvation was. But now, as he's returning 
to his father, he says, the work that the father sent me to do, my work will be continued in you. Let that sink in. He doesn't just say, you will do great works. He says, my great works will be done through you. And even greater works, he says. What does this mean? Some have suggested that Christians today will do greater miracles than Jesus did. But a quick look at the context shows us that this is not what Jesus has in mind. Back in chapter 5, Jesus actually mentions greater works. He says that the Son does the work of the Father. Remember, that got him in big trouble. He said, whatever the Father's doing, the Father's been working, and I've been working. And it got him in big trouble. But then he went on to say that the Father would show him greater works. And he goes on to define what those greater works are. Listen carefully. They include giving life to those who believe. Bringing judgment to those who do not believe. So not more water to wine stuff, giving life to those who believe, judgment to those who do not believe. Later in John 6, the people ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What does Jesus say? Believe in him whom he has sent. So part of works is simply trusting in Christ. The greater works that Jesus will do through his disciples are not greater physical signs. I believe they are rather the continuation of Jesus' work to bring life to those who believe and to pronounce judgment to those who do not believe. And we do this through gospel ministry. Jesus began this work while he was on earth. He perfectly revealed the Father to all he encountered through his words And through his works, some couldn't see it. They rejected him. And therefore he says, when you die, you're going to die in your sins. Others received him, were forgiven their sins. Therefore promised life in his name. But Jesus in his lifetime, as amazing as it was, his earthly ministry in the days of his flesh, only reached a very small corner of the world. The plan all along was that his work would be continued through his disciples and reach to the very ends of the earth. This happened through his apostles. You can read about that in the book of Acts. After his resurrection, and the work continues in the church until Jesus returns. I think this is similar to what Jesus said in chapter 20 in his version of the Great Commission. This idea of declaring life to those who believe, judgment to those who do not believe. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Very similar commission. 
to Matthew's commission in Matthew 28. Jesus calls the church to make disciples of the nation. And he gives the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He gives them the ability to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then as people believe that gospel, to affirm that profession of faith. To bring them into the church. As people reject that gospel, to say hopefully lovingly, hopefully with tears in our eyes, unless you embrace Christ, you will die in your sins and face the judgment of God. The church has been called to do both. And as we do that, Jesus accomplishes this greater work in the world through the church. Isn't that remarkable? That we, sinful people that we are, weak And frail people that we are are able to continue Jesus' work and do even greater works. The question should be in your mind, how is that even possible? Jesus anticipates that and so provokes another question, but also gives, makes it very clear how the greater work can take place. Beginning in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me and I in you. This is my fourth reason that it's good news that Jesus had to go away. And again, I've attached it to the third reason. Believers will continue the work of the Son through the Spirit who dwells in us now. I want you to notice the time markers that I've put in these points and that are here in the passage. Not only will Jesus one day return to take us to be with Him, to dwell with the Father forever, Jesus says here that after He leaves, He will not leave us as orphans, that He will come to us. But that's not referring to the second coming of Christ. That's referring to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers there. That refers to the time that any one of us receives the Holy Spirit when we are born again. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He comes to us. And this is what enables us to do His work. Jesus not only promises we'll dwell with Him in the future, He says something quite astounding the father and the son remember he says i am in the father and the father is in me he now goes on to say the father and the son will dwell in you now through the holy spirit but the provocative statement is in verses 17 and 19 he says the world they can't receive the spirit of truth because they neither see him nor know him 
In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And so Judas says, this makes no sense. How is it that you'll manifest yourself to us, verse 22, and not to the world? All of the Jews in Jesus' day knew that when the Messiah came, that he would manifest himself to the world. He would save his people and he'd bring judgment on his enemies. Judas doesn't understand why Jesus is saying the world won't see him. And Jesus makes a very important point. Like I said, it's difficult to understand all of this, but I think the point is clear. He's saying, now that I am going to the Father, the only way to see me is through the Holy Spirit. The only way to see me is through the Holy Spirit. During Jesus' earthly ministry, He made the Father visibly known through His words and His works. The Father was in Him. He was in the Father. All that He said revealed who the Father was to those with ears to hear and eyes to see. But now, it will only be with spiritual eyes given through rebirth that people will be able to see Jesus. Look again, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verses 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's saying he's going away, but the disciples will still see him through the Spirit. The Father and the Son will make their home in believers through the Spirit so that, track with me, the Son can continue to reveal who God is. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What does this mean? You know, it's interesting. After Jesus says all of this, he really still hasn't answered Judas's question. How will the world see Jesus? Well, I think this is how. Eventually, through the Spirit that dwelt in the apostles, they wrote down what they saw and heard in our Bibles, including the Gospel of John. And so, at the end of chapter 20, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing may have life in his name. The Spirit enabled the apostles to remember Jesus' words and works and to write them down. And now, in this age, following the apostles, as the apostolic gospel is preached through the church, the Holy Spirit is continuing to open eyes so that people can see that Jesus is who he said that he was. 
the very Word of God from the Father. God Himself, the Savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was thinking of this future work of the Spirit and the spread of the Gospel when He says to Thomas in chapter 20, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. How do we come to see Jesus? Only as He is revealed in the Word of God and illuminated through the Spirit of God who dwells within the people of God. In the final verse of chapter 14, Jesus says, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He wants the world to see. He wants the world to know. But what does he mean when he says, I do as the Father commanded me? I think this is a reference to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then he goes on to say, no one takes it from me. Remember what we learned in Hebrews? He's not a victim. He's a volunteer. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Why does he have authority to do so? This charge I have received from my Father. This command I have received from my Father The Father commanded the Son to lay down His life. And as the world is given eyes to see that Jesus laid down His life, they see that Jesus loved the Father. But not only that, then they come to see that the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes would not perish but would have everlasting life. May that be true in this place and around the world. That the Spirit that came on Pentecost would be at work in helping us to see Jesus is the Savior. Life on mission is hard, but there are many good reasons why we can journey with joy. The promises that Jesus has laid down in this passage, the promises that are to come in the weeks ahead, make the destination glorious. Not only for us, a glorious destination, but through the work of the Spirit, there will be a glorious destination for countless of others who will come to believe through our ministries. There will be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered in the presence of God, in that dwelling place forever. May that vision of the future help you to be faithful in the present. Pray with me. Father, we pray for eyes to see. We know that without Your enabling Spirit, we will not see. 
that our eyes are darkened. That the devil has actually blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so I pray for anyone who is here today who has not yet seen their sin, who has not yet seen that Jesus is the Savior, that you would open their eyes, that they would see, that they would believe. For those of us who have believed, I pray that you would give us a vision that stretches beyond what's right in front of our nose, that we would see the glorious destination that is ours if we are in Christ, that we will dwell with you, but also be reminded that you dwell with us now through the Spirit. May that embolden our witness in this world. We ask for the sake of your name among the nations. Amen.